Listener Production. What sparks joy? If you start asking yourself that in everything that you do, from your work to what's around you, it's there. All those feelings are there. They tell you what you should be doing and you've just, you've got to follow them. Hi, I'm Jess Rowe and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show, a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. I don't know about you, but in this time of social isolation, I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we're curious to get to know and understand. There might be tears as well as laughter as we celebrate the real life flaws and vulnerabilities that make us human. Danny Minogue has crammed a lot into her 50 years. She's a singer, songwriter, actress, TV personality and fashion designer. And we've seen her grow up from the young girl on Young Talent Time to the international star that she is today. Of course, her love of glitter, makeup and costumes makes me love her. But I also wanted to talk to her about resilience and reinvention qualities that she has in spades. I love the way with you, you are resilient, you are strong, you're gutsy, you reinvent yourself, you put yourself out there, you learn all these different skills and I just think you're amazing. I do like to skill up and there's been a lot of that happening over COVID for all of us, especially with this IT. Oh my God, I've been filming from home, setting up cameras, lighting, radio equipment, I I, I do feel quite good because it gets harder to learn at this age. I reckon 50 rocks, especially as a woman. (laughs) It's such a great age. What do you think about 50? Well, my favourite birthday was turning 30. I was really excited to turn 30 and I've never heard anyone else say that. 30 was when they went, oh, gadunk. Um, I'm, I'm married or I'm not married or I've got kids or I still don't have kids and everyone has that crazy moment. I don't know, I was still running around London just having a great time and just thought it was incredible. Same turning 40. Um, and then 50 is a different one because it is um, the I, what I call a midlife celebration, not a midlife crisis. And thinking about, you know, my grandma who's 101, so yes, it's maybe going to be a midlife celebration. Maybe there's a lot more in me, who knows. But it has been really tricky navigating lockdown, number six, COVID, knowing that my birthday is in lockdown and uh, just trying to work out how to celebrate because I think it's so important to see your friends and your family and just have that moment with them. And so unfortunately it's still all on screens, but maybe soon I can celebrate it. But I'm happy about it. It's just that the sadness is about the, you know, the being stuck inside still. For me, 50, I really feel like, yes, this this is who I am. And and I love it. I love getting older. I'm not frightened of getting older. And it beats the alternative. That's what I reckon. 
yeah, and that that's how I've always felt and that's what I try to share with friends whenever I catch them saying something negative about turning old and often they're not even aware that it's come out of their mouth. But it's just something you keep hearing and you keep hearing so then you start saying it yourself and that's why I keep saying midlife celebration, midlife celebration, midlife celebration and hopefully it catches on for some other people to go, oh, yeah, it's to be celebrated because my big like moment where it really um, made me think about it and I've thought about it every day since was my sister was sick with cancer. We didn't know if she would get through it. It was a terrifying time. Um, My friend in London had cancer and then another best friend got cancer and she passed away from it very young. It was horrible. And from that moment onwards, it, it really did upset me when I would hear someone say something negative about getting older, like, you have another day on this planet. Yes, you might have another wrinkle, but whatever. It's You've got to enjoy every second of this precious life that you've been given. And you strike me, Danny, as someone who's done that because you have already squeezed so much into your life. You were singing and dancing on Young Talent Time, what, from the age of seven? Yeah, yeah. From seven, I was doing my first little bits in there, started working full-time at eight. (laughs) Where does that come from, though? Because like so many sort of little girls and little boys, I I love singing and dancing and I'd pretend to be ABBA and I'd dance with my sister and we do all of that. But I never thought, hey, I'm going to make a career out of this. It just stayed in my bedroom. How did you then make that transition or did you know at the age of seven, I'm going to be working full-time, this is what I want to do with my life? I think that there are things that you're destined to do. So things just come together and make that happen. Like a lot of kids will like something as a hobby, whether it's sports or music, singing and dancing. But for the ones who turn it into a career, there's that thing inside you that moves when you think about it or you're doing that. So for me, there were two major moments. Seeing the movie Grease, seeing Olivia Newton-John, in her just she's just everything that oozes out of every pore is fantastic and I saw her singing dancing and acting I didn't really know what those things were I had no idea that they were a job but I just was looking up at that screen thinking I want to do that you know so where does that even come from at that age then I was a contestant on Young Talent Time I'd gone to the Johnny Young Talent School to learn how to sing and dance was like probably the worst in the class. Um, There were people there that were much better than me. But for whatever reason, my joy for doing it was oozing out of me. And so the singing teacher said to the producers, I think we should, you know, um, do an audition with her and, and camera test her. So I was a contestant on the show. And I had that moment where I'm tiny, tiny little. My grandma had made my sailor outfit for me to wear And I'm looking up, there's a live audience there and show's going live. I mean, this is is big to take on at, you know, eight years old. And it was my birthday, so another another special day. Uh, 
when I look back at the clip, John says to me, oh, it's your birthday today. How, how old are you? And I said eight. And I was looking up so I can, I can see the live audience. It feels great to me in the room. And there are these big spotlights shining down at the stage. And for me, that just felt like this warm glow. And there was that thing inside me like, this is where I want to be. This is where I always want to be. I want to be up here under the spotlight doing this, whatever this is. I still wasn't sure that it was a career or a job or anything, but just it it was something fun to do. And if I can keep doing this, that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, but what a gift to have that connection and that sense of this is what I need to do at such a young age. And also what I want to know is the joy you talk about, the joy that you felt in doing it. Has that changed now? Is it, Do you still get the joy or is there more pressure and more angst that comes with it? The joy has always been there. And I think that it's remained because I've stayed true to it. So when I feel it, I know it. And when I feel like it's shifting, I will get out of there. So there've been some big moments in my life where I've been part of something huge and I've decided I'm out of here. My bit, part, whatever it was of this is done. So I feel like mentally I became prepared for that kind of strength when we knew we had to leave Young Talent Time at 16. You knew it was coming. There was nothing that was going to stop that and you had to kind of prepare yourself for it. After Young Talent Time, I was very lucky to get the opportunity to work on Home and Away and I honestly think that saved me from going off the rails because it's a big, when you leave Young Talent Time, you're just in nothingness. There's nowhere to go. What are you going to do? So Home and Away gave me this huge thing to focus on and concentrate on and I got to play this bad girl. So I lived out every fantasy of like punching and saying bad words and all of those things that we never did on Young Talent Time. And then not me anyway, but I guess it just let, it, it was a release. And then Well, you could I was, be the bad girl, couldn't you, without the consequences? And that's fun. Yeah. Well, stick your vodka then, you stupid cow. Your bags are all the same. But you knock back a few on the side, don't you, dried up old How dare you? So after a year, um, I thought, I, I've done everything that I can do here and I feel like that spark inside me is telling me to go somewhere else. And it's unbelievable thinking now because I was like 18 years old and the network were like, what do you need? How much more money? And I remember saying, it's not about the money. There's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that you could give me now that would make me stay. That show was so huge in the UK, huge in Australia. Who in their right mind would do that? You. And then it happened. <laughs> yeah. Then it happened to me again in England doing the X Factor. So I'd done that for um, four years there. At the start of every show, live show, those doors open and there's 20 million people watching live. And, you know, I love being in the studio under those lights and all the, the live audience, the excitement. And um, after the last episode of that fourth year, I was like, I'm done. The joy for me 
I want to always go out on that high, but I feel like when something's moving, same happened. I came back, I did X Factor in Australia, did that for three years. And then I was like, it's time for something else. So the joy has always been there, but I've had to jump and move at really pivotal points. And my poor managers, can can you imagine receiving those phone calls? (laughs) They're like, but they're offering you any amount of money and it's, it is the biggest show. So what else are you going to go and do? Like the most stupid move, but in, in the long run, when I've um, looked back, that, that has been the thing to keep that joy. So, you know, with Mars Singer, you can, you can see, even my manager said to me the other day, she's like, when you sit in that seat, that excitement from you that is just pouring out, she said, I know you as you, like, you know, when you're at home, you're a happy person, but she goes, something happens, something happens. We put you in that seat and you are on fire, you know, and it is, it's that pure, absolute, real joy. You can't, um, you can't try and be that. It just, it is that. And that is very much the case because I think that comes through so much watching you on The Masked Singer. And also, I think making those changes, you, you mentioned saying, oh, some people might say it's stupid. I don't think it's stupid. I, I think it's very brave because it's actually tapping in to what your heart is telling you is right. And when that joy starts to diminish and things start to take too much of a toll, I think it's really brave to actually go, no, I don't want to do this anymore. It might be the money, it might be the fame, it might be the attention, but no, I actually want to make a choice about my life and how I decide to lead it. So good on you. I think joy is the most, you know, uh, valuable thing. You can't put a price on that. And it's been interesting, like, just going into the the start of COVID, there was the TV show that came on, Marie Kondo, you know, clearing out your space and how that affects the way you feel. And it was when she put it into words, what sparks joy? And then if, if you start asking yourself that in everything that you do, from your work to what's around you, it, it's there. All those feelings are there. They tell you what you should be doing and you've just, you've got to, follow them, even even though sometimes on paper you go, oh, I don't know if this is the best idea. I'm a mess, Danny. I'm a terrible mess. I'm a crap housewife. And my issue with her thing is all of my crap sparks joy. So I can't actually ever clean out my house. The sparkle, <laughs> the dresses, the shoes, the this, the that. But in terms of other parts of my life, I think I am better at thinking, okay, will this decision bring me and my family joy? Because mm. what I would like to to touch on, you mentioned the X Factor and there mm. was a lot written at the time when you left the X Factor in the UK that, you know, there was a lot of hate that was directed your way very unfairly and, you know, you were reading things about what Sharon Osbourne would say and all sorts of things, but you kept showing up being your wonderful professional self. How did you manage to do that? Uh, The people that I had around me that kept me sane and kept me going, there were a lot of tears, a lot of quiet time that I needed between the shows to try and work out what was going on. I felt I was in the middle of some mad 
play and everybody else knew their lines and I didn't have the script. Um, but it was a, it was a completely crazy time because the show was so big. It was the most talked about thing in the media and it was just around the time of all the phone hacking. So not only was I feeling like some things at work were pushing me over the edge, I kept saying to my friends, I'm being watched, I'm being followed. So they just thought, okay, you're under a lot of stress. <laughs> they kept saying to me, you know, you're just getting paranoid, you're getting paranoid. And I said, no, I have this feeling that it just never goes away. Sure enough, then the whole phone hacking scandal came out and I was on the top 20 list of people being hacked. So there was that crazy moment with my very, very dearest friends and they're like, we're really sorry we didn't you know, know that it it was really happening. We just thought you're like having a nervous breakdown. So it was, it was incredibly intense. And how um, do you manage that? It's it's hard enough to to just imagine someone's doing that. But then when you discover actually my phone is being hacked, my private life is being invaded in such a horrific way. How do you process that? <sighs> There is no way to process it. To give you a snapshot of what was happening, I invited a couple of friends over to my house to make them lasagna. I love cooking. I love feeding people. I love cooking for my friends. And I'm trying to make a lasagna and my um, PR guy calls me. You know, it's kind of late at night. I'm not expecting a call from him. And uh he starts talking to me like, you know, his voice is gone. It's gone up and up. It's like, are you free? Can I speak to you right now? And I thought, oh, this, this doesn't sound great. So I say to my friend, sorry, I've just got, to, just got to take this call, run into the other room. And he says to me, the newspapers know that you're pregnant and it's going to be run on the front page of a newspaper tomorrow morning. I had not told anybody. He didn't know. We hadn't had this conversation. I was not three months pregnant. I was desperate to get back to Australia and tell my parents. Try to process that. And it was because of the phone hacking. They, I'd been for a scan and they knew about that. So they were just literally tracking me every second and that they knew that if they were to threaten me by running it front page, the only way I could legally stop it was to admit them and tell them, yes, I was pregnant. So the first people I told were my PR guy and one of the newspapers in London. Yes, I am. So now they legally can't run it until I'm three months pregnant. But because I had confirmed it, they now then just had the ammunition to run with that when it was all ready. So that's how... I really first found out the full effect of the phone hacking and I had to call up my parents straight away. Meanwhile, I'm running back into my kitchen trying to cook a lasagna for my friends and not tell them what's going on. They said that at the end of the night I just kept running in and out of the bedroom. I was crying, mopping up tears and then going, you can do this smile, just, just get through this dinner because my head was exploding. I just did, there was nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. 
and I kept running out to the kitchen. They said, I made a lasagna with no lasagna sheets in it. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I had sliced up vegetables and put them in some baking dish with a bit of cheese or something. I don't know. I think I put it in the oven and the oven wasn't on. What's going on? (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. We'll we'll get some pizza on the way home. Like you've got a lot on. Um, And so it was just the weirdest. I mean... It is nuts. I mean, it is bonkers. And I think I'm so sorry that you had to go through something like that. Being pregnant is such a joyful, exciting time and also nerve wracking in those early days. And so for you to have to be confronted with that, it's just appalling. And it would make sense for me sometimes to think, well, you know what, why not walk away from all of that and go, it's too hard. What is it within you that has made you keep going, keep reinventing and thinking, no, this I'm not going to let this get to me? Well, I'm glad those times have passed and I'm glad that it's been recognised that that was going on and that the penalty that only a very few people paid for that, there's a lot more people involved that need to, you know, pay their price for it. But I think it's scared a lot of big business to go, actually, we can't do this anymore. Um, You know, they're still up to all sorts of other tricks, but, you know, that, no. So I think that was a relief for me that someone was dealing with it. You know, there was, for years later, there'd be late night calls to Scotland Yard from Melbourne and, you know, the police want to speak to you, they want to confirm details, Um, there's a whole team of human rights lawyers working on this for years and after a while those calls stopped and it was great because I needed to put that in the past and I just as I say I just get joy from what I do I get joy from you know the fact that there's that interaction with the audience whether it's through the tv or a live show that you feel like you can Feel the energy and change the energy. And it's about inspiring and, as you say, uplifting people. And I reckon now more than ever, that is what we need. We're yearning for that sense of connection, that sense of feeling understood and listened to. And we're in this. And... I mean, you're doing that in a sense with The Masked Singer, I think, with the lovely sort of joy and optimism you bring to that role. Have you got plans now that you're 50 to release some more music again? I think I'll dabble in it. But for me, the hardest thing, um, because there's there are a lot of questions coming from um, fans of my music to say, you know, we want more music from you, but the hardest thing is just to have a balance in my life where I have some family time and music means a lot of travel and promo and being out there, which doesn't go with doing the school runs and, you know, being there to help with homework and all of that. It just doesn't work. So Ethan is 11 now and we have a great time together. So I, you know, made a decision to sort of say no to most of the music stuff. There'll just be little bits that I'll do because it actually can fit in with the schedule. And it's not that I I don't love doing the music, but um, 
just schedule wise. It's, it, there needs to be more hours in 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> well, if there was, you would find it. Yes. <laughs> you yes. would, Danny. Well and truly. <laughs> I tried. Now, you mentioned there your son, and what does he kind of think of you? I know I embarrass my daughters just by breathing. Does, does he think you're a pretty cool mum or is he like, oh, no, don't sing, don't dance, I don't want to see those clips, mum? I actually really stopped singing when he was very tiny. If I would sing, he would go, oh, mum, don't, don't sing. He doesn't remember it at all. And we sing a lot now and he loves rapping. So we have our, our playlist that we would listen to in the car on the way to school and be singing and rapping at the top, you know, loudest that we could possibly be, that you could hear us from the other cars. So he, you know, he kind of gets what I do. Um, but sometimes I just see that if I'm away too much, he just has that little look in his face that looks sad. So I just, you know, try to manage it so that I'm not away too much. And I thought I'd use that technique where you just put it out there and ask for what you want. And uh, when I was doing X Factor, that's a huge commitment because it, it runs over, I guess, six months in Australia, maybe nine months in the UK because of how they do the auditions and the amount of dates and then they've got to edit that and then you do home visits, then there's another break, then you do live shows. So it's really the full year in the UK, it was most of my year in Australia and I thought I, I like I want to do TV I love it to be something with music um, something that was really fun uh, something that's family entertainment but something that just is shot really fast and it doesn't take all year to do oh my goodness Mars Singer we shoot the entire series in three weeks so to go from like nine months down to six months down to a three week. So I get to do that big glossy TV show once a year. It fulfills everything in my soul. And then I have time to be a mum. So um, I don't know if the putting out, putting it out there worked, but it Timing wise, <laughs> I think it has. I think it it very much has worked, and and also too with your boy. I'd read that you'd made a, a decision not to put him on social media, and mm. listening to what you were saying about phone hacking and all of that, I totally get that. Yeah, you know the the phone hacking thing in the UK. Me getting into a career when I did at the age I was, there were no paparazzi. There wasn't social media. So a few times as an adult, I've encountered people saying, well, you know what you're getting into, so you just have to deal with it all. And I go, but I was famous before that was a thing and you can't unfame yourself. You, you're famous, so you just keep doing what you're doing. It wasn't a, a thought-out decision. I was just doing a job. That job now comes with a whole thing around it. But it was really trying to get home from the hospital having cars, following, and helicopters. You realise that your game, that there's a price on your head as soon as you walk out the front door. You know, all of these things take a lot of legal advice. I got legal advice on it. As I'm coming home as a new mum, my first day at home, and I'm on the phone to London and lawyers, and they said, well, if you write a letter to all the editors 
in the UK and you you and Ethan's father promised not to put photos of him up on social media, they are legally bound to pixelate his face up until a certain age. I think it's about 13 or something because he's a minor. That makes sense. That rule doesn't apply in Australia though. But I instantly reduced the price on our foreheads from a sale in two countries to not many sales in the UK, which would pay the bigger amount of money because they'd have to pixelate it. So it's not really that interesting to the editors. So it was, you know, a request to those editors, but they did have to follow it. But I think it kind of in their head was like, you know, they're really serious about this. So he can decide when when the time is right if he wants to jump on social media. But um, there's a lot of stress that goes with that and um, it's hard to grow up in front of a whole bunch of people, people who you don't know and people who are willing to just easily comment on stuff that you've done. And that used to only be for famous people. Now it's for everybody, everybody who's on any kind of uh, social media platform. And it's, it's a learning curve. I think it's really hard for kids. And also it is, I would not want to be a teenager now. It's hard enough being a teenager, full stop, but in the world of social media, no way. I wonder too, you know, thinking about what you were saying, coming home from the hospital, it's so overwhelming as a new mum, but for you to have to be negotiating, navigating all that other stuff, did you ever think or do you ever think the price of fame is too much or I wish I wasn't at this point? There are absolutely moments where I've just thought this is too much, (laughs) even just from a couple of those examples that I've given you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But where do you go? What do you do? You have to know that that feeling is going to pass, do what you can to be at peace with whatever it is and move on. That's all you can do. Which, again, you keep doing. And I think that's why a lot of people love you. I mean, I love you for that. I love that you do keep on keeping on and that you do reinvent yourself. And there's not a use by date for want of a better word. I mean, as as women in high profile positions, that can happen. And I mean, you are an international star, but the way that you've been able, I think, to keep going and explore different parts of your talent is inspiring to all of us. Yeah, I guess that we're on that journey together and I get amazing messages from fans on, you know, through social media because it's actually been a pretty positive space for me. Um, and it's it's incredible that you that somebody's going on that journey with you. And so many of us have. I mean, from watching you grow up on the screen. Another thing that I found interesting too was you talking about body image over the years and how when you first moved to the UK, and this makes me so cross, it was sort of the time of Kate Moss when it was all, you know, incy-wincy, skinny women and people having a go at you, and that was so wrong. Yeah, it was not only in print having a go at me, but the photographers knew that that was the headline that they wanted, so they would go to any lengths to get photos at an angle where 
there's no way anyone can look good. Literally lying on the floor in the gutter as I'm trying to get out of a car and trying to shoot up my dress and everything. It was just such an awful feeling. And luckily I had a strong mind and I felt great about my body and my size. They didn't seem to like it, but I felt good about it. Had I not had the strength in my mind about that, I don't know where I would be. I've seen documentaries from people who really struggle um, about their weight and about their body image and when you are attacked by media about that, it's overwhelming. It didn't break me, but it left something inside me that was damaged. So I look at pictures after that. It's just like, I don't know, I was like in my late teens, I just was more chubby than I am now. Still the same person, eating the same. It's just like how my body reacted. And then I got a bit older and it it kind of fell off. Um, And I was happy either way. I didn't mind. But by the time the weight fell off, I look back at photos of how my body was. It was slim, but healthy, washboard stomach, and I would panic about everything. I remember putting on clothes at photo shoots saying to my very trusted makeup artist who would have to do full body makeup artist. So she's up there rubbing makeup on my butt and my arms and all over. And I'd be like, do you, sh- are you sure this is okay? Does it make me look fat? I'm, I look at those pictures now and I'm like, how could you even have thought that? So the damage was there. And then there's, you know, been time later as an adult where I've realized that that happened and I've repaired that damage and I think a lot of that change happened when I was pregnant and your body does these amazing things and I was so lucky to have a good pregnancy and it was really easy I think one morning I felt a little bit queasy but I never threw up and that was it that was my morning sickness done so I was just really enjoying what my body was doing and I know a lot of people think oh, if you could go back to any time you know would you be 20 again with that washboard stomach No, I'd be five months pregnant. Oh, I just love rubbing that big belly. So I think that gave me this appreciation of my body and then accepting all of the changes that were going to come after having a baby. But it's been a wild ride. It's been a wild ride and I just feel so much for people who don't have that strength in them. And you mentioned there the wild ride. I mean, part of some of those lighter times in the 90s, you were front row the Alexander McQueen show, <laughs> what with Prince and your sis, Kylie, by your side. I mean, that's that's pretty amazing. They're just incredible moments. And you see TV shows come on um, <clears throat> about the royal family and there's a lot on currently about Princess Diana and I remember meeting her when she was Princess Diana and on her first, you know, royal engagements. What was that like? She was very young, very 
um, nervous and was really dressed up like an old lady. That's all I remember was like, I was like thinking, why are you wearing this frumpy outfit? You're a young girl. Uh, and then we later saw her blossom into the, you know, gorgeous Lady Di, um, Princess Diana, Queen of Hearts. Um, it was almost uncomfortable meeting her because she was so nervous at doing this. I was in a lineup after um, like one of the Royal Command performances. There's all these different artists in, in the lineup. And we've done lots of weird big you know, engagements and met so many crazy people. She had not, she'd not, you know, been exposed to this. So she was like way out of her depth. And you know, I just wanted to take her aside, grab her hand and go, is it okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you being the big hearted, beautiful person you are, that's exactly what I can see you doing, Danny. Yeah, I, if I could have, I would have. I just, let's let's go in the next room, make a cup of tea and chill out. <laughs> or what about having a glass of Yellow Glen instead? That's what I know. I'd be doing. <laughs> I, I get to celebrate with Yellow Glen, who are also 50. This year has been Yellow Glen turning 50, Young Talent Time having their 50th anniversary and my birthday all wrapped up together has been... Insane. It's just you can't not stop and just look back over everything. It's I never want it to end. I just I'm having the best year ever. Well, it's not going to end. I mean, your grandmother is 101. Um, you're just 50 now. I cannot wait to see what you do next. Well, talk about the, you know, reinvention. I want to be like one of those really wild, you know, grannies. Um, there'll be there'll be a lot of wild fashion for sure. Uh, Iris Atful is my yes. style icon. She Me just too. turned a hundred, just released her first line of glasses, which I've bought, you know, and <laughs> all of the yes. postal, I got a message last week, postal from America to Australia has stopped and I'm like, no, I need my Iris Atful glasses, these huge, big, blue, fabulous glasses. So I want to be somewhere between Iris, who is just an absolute queen, and Baddie Winkle. I don't know if you know Baddie Winkle. Yes, of course, of course. (laughs) So they're like With the latex and the very pink cheeks and just she's fantastic. Yeah, she's like Florida madness, all in neon um, and wearing bikinis and... um, you know, riding around on her motor scooter, smoking cigarettes and, you know, drinking, you know, bubbly. So I'm between those two. Um, I think most of the time I'm that, you know, Iris Apfel, very put together, but sometimes you get Disco Danny and she's out (laughs) on the dance floor (laughs) drinking bubbles and having a wild time. Because you've got to, you've got to. I think that's, you know, going back to your other question before, that that's also part of what keeps me sane is just having having those blowout moments where you really just laugh and enjoy and it's music, friends, food, wine and celebrations. I, I've always said to my friends, like, I gesticulate a lot and I like to cook large amounts of food and feed people. So I think it's that sort of a 
So like almost like an Italian, you know, sense of living life and jumping in and embracing all those things around you. And I think Aussies know that the Minogue family, we love, we love to be together, you know, and 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 have those beautiful moments. Oh, well, thank you for sharing so many of those moments with us. I cannot wait. I imagine one day I'd love to be doing a bit of disco dancing on the dance floor with you, Danny. We would, need to. Oh, wouldn't that be fantastic? And and thinking about that wonderful Iris Apfel, that quote of hers, more is more, any less is a bore. And I reckon <laughs> that is you to a T. More is more. And you just keep on bringing it, beautiful. So much love. I just <laughs> think you. you are extraordinary. Thank you, Danny. Thank you. Thank you. Danny is such a strong, resilient woman and I admire the way, actually I love the way that she's listened to her heart when it comes to making those big decisions. I'm someone who also wants to look for joy, search for joy, and she does that full, open-heartedly. And I tell you what, I want to age disgracefully with her. Check out Danny Minogue hosting the 90s podcast series. And you can also hear her weekdays on old school 90s hits or via the listener app. My guest for next week is Iron Woman and Wonder Woman, Candace Warner. Candace says her newfound vulnerability has become her superpower. I've grown as a person since then. And although it's, it's funny how it took something like that show for me to be able to feel like I could be vulnerable and to open up and to let my walls down. And it's, for me, that was the biggest gift out of all, everything that I got from the show. The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show was presented by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.